Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday, and we're here with another action-packed episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. Welcome back, Mike. It's been a while. Yes. Hello. I am alive. I am here. Uh, hello, listeners. As Mr. Hill just said, you're listening to the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, the greatest horror podcast in the world. Uh, I am good. It is October, and uh, Halloween movie season is here, Mike. Oh, yeah, the spooky season has officially started, and we're you know knee deep in the, all the festivities for sure. Yes, um, I listened to the the missed episode today uh, that you and Jeff did, and I you know I, I kind of called what those two scores would be, you know, as the, uh, the moment the the show started because I've always known that, that you've liked this movie. I this that movie came out around the time of like the the Brooklyn Monster Factory too, so that's another like I always tie my memories of that store and with that movie actually yeah yeah it was right on the same time man that was mm-hmm. uh yeah that was that was a, a good time definitely oh hell yeah hell yeah you know what was I, i'm surprised i think around that time was it was like the big rise of the remakes era right because i know you brought up friday the 13th but I think there was like the a shit ton of other ones that had come out in like 07 and 08, like between you know, 06 and like 08. Last and, House on the Left was really Yes, yes. Time. And um, a host of others. And I enjoy some, some I did not. But interesting to like take take a stroll down, you know, that time period and talk about all those remakes one day. No. Well, you know, I'm working on a, a, a you know, what's hopefully is going to turn into a book about the the, the last, the first quarter century and the horror that's happened yes. since the millennium, you know, and mm. there's all these different phases, you know, there's like the rise of, of um, found footage, there's like the quote unquote mm-hmm. elevated horror, and then there's mm-hmm. like the early aughts um, remakes, you know, mm. all that sort of stuff. And there, there's, the, and of course, the new French extremity, which technically started in in the late nineties, but was really coming into its own in the early part of an the O's thing. Yeah, century. it's it's more of an O's thing. Yeah. And look, yeah, look, one could argue two thousand to twenty twenty two has been gangbusters. Um, I think twenty twenty three is a bit of a questionable year, <laughs> but yeah. uh, as we have said a lot this year on this show, um. But hey, most of this century has been fantastic. A lot of innovation too. You know what I mean. A lot of things have changed in horror. You know, and, and uh, become more of um, more of like an art form in some ways. You know, and and I think even yeah. like writing and directing and all the acting is like become stepped up quite a bit, especially after the '90s. Yep. You know when horror kind of like you know it wasn't the best decade for horror of the 90s and at least in the no it wasn't and and even the stuff that brought it back your screams your i know you did last summers your etc those weren't that good but they they had to happen to bring in the the good things that were to come in the 2000s if that makes sense right like you know everything happens for a reason and horror has its ebbs and flows for a reason um but it's funny. Another thing I wanted to mention was that in America in the last few years, I would say that like in the, I don't know, maybe four years, let's say, there's been 
like the the rebirth of of American horror. Like it may this whole might have a name, you know, it kind of doesn't really have a name, but I feel like it may, like you know, historically, like the, a lot of great shit is happening. Like the terrifiers and just you know, I, I think Skin and Marink will, will will go down in history, uh, infamy or history or whatever. But you know, like you just said, there's been all these different styles and all these different things, and it's it's definitely book material, definitely. Totally. And everyone, everyone writes about the early, you know, old stuff. There's been tons of books about the seventies, you know, and, and Italian horror mm -hmm. and Giallo and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And everyone, you know, but the first 25 years, like I, I want to, you know, continue writing until the 20, you know, your you know, first 25 years, like a quarter. That's century. a great idea. I like it. Yeah. And, and just be what inspired me though, is just how things have changed though. Like awesome stuff. Like, you know, like the Benson and Henderson stuff, Benson and Moorhead stuff rather. And um, yes, you know, all that, you know, skin marink, like the analog horror, um, mm -hmm. you know, lots of interesting stuff has happened. And it's, I think it's book material for sure. Yeah, after we're, after we were done with our, our wrap up of the particular movie of the evening, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something I watched on Shudder, but I, I don't want to completely derail us just yet because we have to talk about music first because at the beginning of our episodes, Mike, we talk about music. Right, we got to talk about that because a lot of musical stuff has happened recently. Like you, yes, uh, you know, you play Confusion played their first show in how many years, Mike? 16. 16, 16 years. years, and it went well. I had a great time. Uh, we were treated very well by a Brooklyn Monarch and John Scanlon at Miles to Go. Um, it was a, a treat to play with fucking Killing Time and Terror. I mean, look, Terror to me are the hardcore band of the 21st century, 100%. I mean, you just watch them. It's hard to not watch them and just be like, oh, yeah, th th this they, these guys know what they're fucking doing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just something about them that just grabs you, you know? Um, but, you know, and Killing Time had a, a great set. Anthony was, you know, firing on all cylinders. Um but for confusion, I think we did really good. I mean, you know, we we made some changes in the band. Uh, I'm on vocals instead of bass, and we have our original guitar player Mike Price, and we had uh, new bassist uh, Ted Hampton, and none other than Rich O'Brien from Darkside NYC on drums. But uh, this unit is is I will I will say here to stay, and uh, expect some some more uh, live fun from us. In the near future, Michael, I'll be there. The only reason I was not at that show is because I was down the street at uh, the mm -hmm. Counter Corpse Mayhem uh, show. At yeah, literally blocks away from where you guys played. But we we got there literally right before Mayhem started playing mm -hmm. because I had another podcast to record that early late late afternoon that uh, got dangerously close to conflicting with going to the show. So. So yeah, yeah. We, we went on like at six fifty-five sharp, like seven o'clock. Uh, yeah. We did a twenty-five minute set, which is perfect. Uh, learned some things over the years about the younger hardcore kids. Your sets need to be short uh, because that's the the attention span. Um, and I, I tell you, what, one other thing I wanted to say was this: uh, two bands in particular that were were excellent that were on the bill from California. Uh, one is a band also on uh, Days called Big Boy. They were fucking really cool. Uh, they were very, you know, complimentary to Confusion. And then the band Soul Search from California, The uh, two of the guys in the band, 
uh, came up to me and were talking to me and they said, you know, we wouldn't be a band without confusion and demise. And I went, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, you, this is our favorite kind of New York hardcore. And that's what, like, we, we kind of modeled our sound after that era of New York hardcore. And I was like, holy shit, thank you so much, so man. Like, man. Yeah, awesome. dude. Like, and honestly, like, watching them and, and listening, I went, yep, I hear I hear what they're talking about. I, I, hear, I heard it in, in the riffing, for sure. And I thought that they were just like a, an excellent band. And it was one other really good band, too. It was like a 12-band fest uh, called Mongrel. Uh, who were super heavy. Uh, I want to check out more of their shit. But, I mean, all the bands were good, you know. But uh, those guys, uh, the three bands I just mentioned, really stuck out to me. I enjoyed them a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I'll be at the next one for sure, you know. Just, uh, like, I had those tickets for, like, months. Oh, dude, I mean, how? You know I would have been there. I, I yeah, literally no. don't miss Cannibal Corpse in New York for 20, almost 30 years. So, you know, I, I they're, they're my jam. Um, you and I went at their last uh, show in New York together, I believe, at Brooklyn Steel. No, I was there, you know, that was uh kind of at the tail end of COVID, too. And it was like, yes, yes, uh huh. So it was cool that this time around, I got a, I actually got a chance to catch up with Eric Rutan, and I haven't seen oh. him in a couple of years. So we 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 chilled and uh hung out and talked for got a good hangout in with him. And uh, it's funny because my girlfriend Tina is like, um, a huge uh fan of george fisher you know his instagram because he has a, <laughs> yes. a whole, oh, yes. all that stuff with the plushies and the kids and everything so you know the on the way out to the show she's like oh do you think i can meet you know george corpse grinder you know i love his instagram right i'm like i don't know man the dude's like you know i don't want to hmm. be like that guy you know yeah so afterwards after the show we were hanging out with eric and who comes by george corpse Grinder? Wow. <laughs> like, and i was like there he is go introduce yourself to him She's like, no, I don't want to, you know. So I asked Rutan to like introduce her to George, and they had this nice conversation. And he talked about his wife and kids, and really, really nice guy. I'd never met him before, and um, really, really, really sweet guy. Well, I have a little story to share. I I, I met him when I was nineteen because they opened for Confusion and Next Step Up uh, in nineteen ninety three. His band Corpse Grinder. How about that? Wow, isn't that wild? Um, then I, okay. I mean, that, that was so long ago, dude. I mean, January of 93, that's 30 years ago. It was our first, it was Confusion's first time playing up there. Our first of many times. And it was at a, a youth hall, like, like a, a fucking youth center. that was like packed to the gills in like five degree weather. You know, it was like, it was a lot of fun, you know? Um, and they played and then years, a couple years later, I believe he was at one of those death fests at the wetlands while he was still in monstrosity or this literally might've been when monstrosity played the wetlands with him. Memory's a little fuzzy. And my boy, Tom, who booked those shows introduced me to him back then. So these are two instances, a very long time ago that I'm sure he would not remember at all, but you know, it just goes to show, I mean, the guys like a, a legend guy that's been around a long time with like a, an excellent reputation. So I'm sure he was really cool to chill with. Yeah, no, nah, he's a really nice guy, you know. But yeah, I just been going to lots of shows, dude. I saw Twin Tribes. I saw, you know, that um, Mayhem Cannibal show. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at Lebanon Hanover last night. Um, just a lot of good shit going on. A lot of good live music happening right now. Do tell, what is Lebanon Hanover? Oh man, they're like uh, I would say they're kind of like a minimalist, like electronic 
goth, you know, hmm. a little bit of industrial, not really that much industrial, but like so good, dude. I, I, I don't know how, I think I'm trying to remember how I even got into them, but I mean, that's, that's my shit. That's my style. Like I love all that kind of sad, you know, stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, just, well, I got stuff too. I'm not, I wasn't familiar with them. Um, what do you call it? Yeah. I, I, Stella and I saw Twin Tribes last year at one of those, like, the, the Murder of Crows Fest, and I actually thought they were very good. Yeah, they're great. They, they were really cool. They, um, look, they look cool, man. Like, the bass player in that band just had this look, dude. He looked like a satanic, like, cowboy, you know? It was, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was so cool. They were great, you know? Yeah, they're kind of um, blown up. Like, I, I would, it seems like they're, like, considerably bigger in, in a year's time, I almost feel yeah, like. Nah, yeah, nah, because their last album was great. You know, Ceremony's, mm-hmm. like, a incredible record, you know? But, uh, yeah, you know, just been that doing that, and we we got some dates coming up October next weekend, actually. Um, yes, all, we'll be there. Our funeral leech, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so we were just been practicing a lot, getting our you know, getting everything tightened up and ready to roll, and uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Should be should be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun night at Gold Sounds in Brooklyn if you are uh, of the in the New York area, and shout out the other two clubs, the other two dates. All right, so uh, the thirteenth is uh some of the some hall somewhere in uh, in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, yes. I, I'm one of these guys. <laughs> no, and I think it's a, it, a lot of shows happen there. I can't think of the name right now. I know I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, you can go to like phillyshows.com and they have it listed, or you can just go to the my Instagram or the Tombs Instagram where there's flyers for it. And then the Sunday show, we return to dusk in Providence, Rhode Island, which is a really cool small little club up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love Providence. Providence is like one of my favorite cities, and uh, it's always a good time playing there. And uh, it'll be really cool to like play and share the stage all at war. Like two two bands that have a lot in common musically, but couldn't have less in common as far as fans go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be some worlds colliding, which is great. Um, oh yeah. I, uh, I Lucas from uh, Funeral Leech uh, was at the uh, Confusion show. I was telling him I was looking forward to seeing his band and. I, I, I think Funeral Leech is, is one of the best death metal bands in New York City. I've been saying that for a while, and uh, yeah. stoked to see them, too. I saw I saw them at that, there was that big show with Immolation. Remember that one? A couple years yes. Ago? Yeah, I missed them. I fucking missed them, yeah. I yeah, that them. was that was cool. Like, they were they were, they were were really great, and uh, they're an excellent band, and I really was looking. I've, I've actually hoped that we would share the stage with those guys at some point, you know, and, and here we are. It's going to be great. Awesome. Uh, before we roll into the movie of the evening, kids, we're going to run down the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse on Monday. Mike, who do we got? Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. Uh, he's another horror podcast, except that he is an interview show where we talk about the movies. He talks about filmmakers, you know, actors, all that sort of stuff. And occasionally we're on there as guests. That's right. Occasionally. <laughs> On Tuesday, you have the greatest metal podcast in the land, Jackie Smith's Into the Necrosphere. Uh, I'm an episode behind on that bad boy, but I I always tune in. Uh, Don't forget, Into the Necrosphere every Tuesday for all your metal needs. On Wednesday, you have Mike Hill's own Everything Went Black podcast. Mike, who do we got coming up on there this week? One of your friends. 
Eddie McNamara is coming up. Yes, tonight. that's right. Or, or actually, at the time this airs, he will have been on already. And uh, uh-huh. have- uh, yeah, Ed McNamara wrote a cool book called Brooklyn Hardcore that may or may not mention a Necromaniacs co-host and his band. Or I don't know. You'll have to read the book to find out. I don't know. They might be in there. Who knows? If you haven't listened to that episode, for sure check it out. Because we talk about a bunch of really intense stuff. And uh, mm. really cool. Very, very nice guy. I look forward to meeting him at some point in the future. The near future, hopefully. Yeah. And, uh, he he definitely, goes to shows. Probably have him on again, I imagine, at some point. Because, um, you know, he ain't going anywhere. And he's going to be writing more books. So I'm, <laughs> sure, I'll, I'm sure I'll have him on the uh, the show again at some point. That's right. To plug his... Uh, his next book on uh, on Thursday, kids, uh, we're rolling along with, well, you're listening to it right now, the Necromaniacs podcast, the greatest horror podcast in the world. Who do we got on Friday, Mike? The, the artist formerly known as Break the Apocalypse, and I always forget the name, man. The new They're called Spitball Media, and what's really shitty is that they need to change their graphic on the, the platforms. Because although it says Spitball Media, it still says Break the Apocalypse on the on the graphic. So I have to send a little note to John Draper about that. I was meaning to tell him the other day. I forgot. But yeah, tune into those guys. Uh, they have made a bit of a flex to talking about nothing but movies, television, entertainment, media. And uh, yeah, it's a cool, fun podcast. They talk about a lot of horror stuff. But they don't really, they don't really do horror reviews like we do. Uh, they, they, it kind of runs the gamut. Uh, Saturday, you got a day off, enjoy the fall weather. But on Sunday, come back for none other than Carl Carl Hikara's Soul Knox podcast, right, Mike? That's right. And uh, you know, Carl and I have been collaborating on this other thing called Darkness Weaves, which uh, we recover the work of Carl Edward Wagner, and we trade off you know, short stories. And that's a lot of fun. And we're going to continue doing that with some of his other material. So I'm looking, that's going to be great. And then of course, lurking in the shadows, we have <laughs> Iblis Manifestations brought to you by Cheyenne of the great band Trivax. Mm. It's so funny when everyone says Cheyenne of Trivax, you realize that sounds like a Conan the Barbarian character, right? Like Cheyenne That's, of that's, like a sick, that's <laughs> such a sick thing to have a name yeah. like that. You know? Right, like it just kind of rolls together, you know. Like it sounds like something out of a movie, you know. Giant kind of looks like a character in a Conan uh, story. <laughs> sort of, he's all jacked and everything, you know. Nice, very yeah. cool. We only have cool people, guys. Everybody's got to be cool, you know. That's right. Fuck that shit. But uh, there you have it, folks. The horseman of the podcasting apocalypse. We got one call this week on the Necrophone. And if you want to call into the show and uh, leave a voicemail, it's 908-913-0782. I think somebody thought that someone was actually going to pick up the phone when they called. Because <laughs> really? I saw that. I saw in the, in the um, you know, in the voicemails, there was a, a, a number came up, but there was no voicemail. Hmm. So, uh, you know, maybe it was a robocall or something like that. But hmm. I thought that was interesting. You know what I mean? But. But anyway, this week we got Emilio returning. Emilio from Pennsylvania. Yes. And, uh, he's a return caller, and I'm glad to hear from him again. Hey, hey guys. This is Emilio from Pennsylvania. I'm driving back home, and I just finished listening the uh, chapter or, or the episode about the woman in black. I had the chance to see that movie, the TV movie, probably 
I don't know, more than 50 years ago in a bootleg DVD that I was able to get when I was in Mexico. But I wanted to share with you, and I don't know, well, I probably don't know about, there was this play in Mexico, actually, it still is a play, has been for over 20 years about the woman in black. And, but as a play, which is kind of awesome because usually is made in very small theaters, probably less than a hundred people, less than a hundred you uh, guys in, in, in the audience. And the, I saw it twice. The first time that I saw it was with Herman Robles in one of the of the characters, and Herman Robles, in case you don't know, was one of the most famous actors that played as vampires in Mexican movies. So it was a super interesting approach, seeing that as a play instead of as a movie. So that's that's one of the things that I want to share. The second is, I don't know, guys, maybe it's a little bit too late. When, when, when you hear that, probably it's late. This, uh, on October the 1st and October the 4th, there will be the 15th anniversary, well, they will be showing in, in, in theaters the Exorcist again, the 50th anniversary. So I got my tickets. I know that, uh, I mean, it, it's going to be uh, the first time, I think, that I will be able to see that movie in the big screen. And last, I will... Probably you have seen, or I'm not sure if you have seen, the uh, movie from Spain called Thesis. And it's a kind of a sound footage, uh, a little bit gory movie. If not, you can see it. You can look for it. Again, it's Thesis or Thesis. So, guys, well, I'm driving back home. So, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, be safe. And thank you for everything. Take care. Bye. So, Amelia, do me a favor. I, did you say feces is the name of that movie? So please clarify. Ah. Send, us a, send us a DM like or something like that because it sounds this movie sounds interesting that uh, you're mm -hmm. talking. About. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, that, that, thanks for calling, dude, and thanks for bringing. We always like to hear about stuff, you know, things that we might have seen. And I, if it's a movie called Feces, I definitely haven't seen it. <laughs> no, me neither. We remember that. I mean, that would be a memorable thing. Yeah. And feces. Well, he brought up something uh, kind of cool, a, a stage production of The Woman in Black, huh? Yeah, that, that's very cool. I, I totally, I can see that because it has that sort of vibe to it of a play, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I need to peep this OG one, man. I, I enjoyed uh, the one with Harry Potter. I enjoyed that movie, actually. Yeah, the original, though, has just got so much more atmosphere, you know, and it's, uh, you know, Nigel Neal was the writer, you know, and he's like an OG UK film writer you know hmm. very cool thanks for the phone call please listeners uh give us a call more we'll put you on the air right mike yeah you know we, we've been getting the nice uh you know regular stream of callers it's cool you know sometimes it's one you know sometimes a couple people call in and uh yeah yeah i appreciate it man it's really nice hearing from people and i i gotta say it, it makes the show like even more cooler to do it you know hell's yeah uh, well, folks, tonight, to kick off this early October episode, we're going back to the 70s, and uh, we're covering uh, an area that I, we haven't covered in a very long time, actually. 
Uh, it's a Hammer film, and it is another, none other than Dracula A.D. 1972, released on September 28th, 1972. Mike, I think the last Hammer film we did was a couple of years back, uh, the, the Werewolf movie. Curse of the yeah, Werewolf? Curse of the Werewolf, yep. Yes. Wow, that... How many years ago was that? Jesus, Dude, I was still I was still living in Greenpoint, so it had to oh be like 20, 2017, maybe. <laughs> no, all right. Well, I'll have to do some digging and, and double check. Um, when you've been on the air for nine years, folks, it gets a little fuzzy. Um, but yeah, um, we love Hammer here. We're not Hammer experts, Michael. Would you Would you agree? However, I'm a huge fan of their catalog, you know, and, and I'm surprised yeah. we haven't done more. And, I, and, and you know, I got to be honest, I, I feel like I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I'm not as knowledgeable with Hammer horror films as I really mm. wish I was, you know. I know a thing or two, as they say, you know, I, I love Christopher Lee. I, I've seen, look, I've seen all of his Draculas. And then I would have to say I've seen maybe more than half a dozen non- uh you know christopher lee non-dracula hammers i mean maybe maybe i have seen 20 hammer films i definitely own 20 at least hammer films between blu-rays and these very cool dvd collections that i own of hammer films which was how i watched dracula ad 1972 it's uh it's a four-on-one wb uh two-sided dvd folks with horror of dracula dracula's risen from the grave Taste the Blood of Dracula and Dracula AD 1972, all in one place, Michael. How fun is that? That's very cool. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, this is the seventh Hammer film featuring Dracula, but the sixth to star Christopher Lee in the title role. Come on, man. Who is better as Dracula than Christopher Lee? I gotta say he's probably my favorite dracula you know i, I like the peter cushing as van helsing and the Christopher oh, yeah. dracula combo i mean shit i wish there was like 10 more with these two guys in them but i mean you know you could only make so many um and some argue they would you know decline in quality as the years passed but honestly i i enjoy the hell out of almost every single hammer movie i watch mike you know, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. You know, um, success rate with Hammer as well. Uh, yeah, you know, I haven't seen all their stuff, but yeah, there's like most all the Dracula ones are cool, like the Frankenstein ones, like the Curse of the Werewolf was great. Uh, there's another one called Creeping Flesh, which you ever see that one? Uh, I it's it's on one of these sets that I own, but I have not peeped that one. No, that's a really good one, man. It's like not a doesn't have Dracula or or you know. Or or Frankenstein in it, or a werewolf. It's like <laughs> it's like a totally different. It's like a weird tale almost. You know, it's it's very interesting. Mm. Nigel Neal might have written it. Who for all I know, it seems like something that he would write. You know, the other interesting thing about this one is that it's the first to feature Lee and Cushing in their in their respective you know Helsing Dracula roles. Since the 58 Dracula, which was like, you know, the big fucking premiere one, which is a very cool movie. Um, after this one was the, you know, the final Christopher Lee Dracula movie, The Satanic Rites of Dracula, also directed by the director of this film, Alan Gibson. Have you seen that Dracula? 
that one I've seen. You know, and I got. I, I think I mentioned this to you before we started recording. I'd never actually seen this film before because it, you know, I'm, as I was growing up watching these movies, it was something that I just was like, I don't know, man. It looks doesn't look like I really dig this. You know, like it, it didn't look as like dark as like kind of like this hippie vibe to it. You know. But I have a different opinion of it than I did when I was like 16, you know? Yeah. Well, honestly, nothing was more uncool in the 80s than the 70s, let's be honest. So if you're an 80s horror kid and you have the chance to see Dracula AD 72 or you have the chance to see Friday the 13th Part 6 or Hellraiser, well, you know what you're going to watch, right? I mean, it's, you know, kind of, it kind of is what it is. But as you get older and as you say, either appreciate 70s horror more, or you appreciate older horror more, you watch this for the first time, you're fucking bugging out. You're, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, you know, because like, uh, I just like the gothic nature of the story, you know, back the period piece elements of it, you know, especially with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing just killing it as Van Helsing and Dracula. You know, those guys are just, oh, yeah. you know, the killing, killing it when every time they play those roles, you know. So let, let's kind of get into like what this is about. You know, we're talking about it. We're, we're kind of skirting around it here, you know. Let's, let's go. go. Let's go. Yeah. So it this it starts off in 1872, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the current uh, you know, what you would think of as the current Dracula era. Yep. You know, and um but then Dracula is, you know, looks like he's killed, he's buried, mm-hmm. you know. He's impaled we... from a carriage crash. Like it's kind of like this cool end battle. It starts with a cool end battle scene between Van Helsing and Dracula. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, but we also have um, at the quote unquote funeral, we have this uh, very, very hip looking guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, who, who, by the strict telling of Dracula, I would say that he would have been like a Renfield sort of character. He would have been Renfield. Right? Yes, in a way, sure. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnny Alucard. Yes. Johnny Alucard. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's, uh, you know, kind of one of the acolytes of Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the thing. Like, I, I thought this was very cool because then it shifts into the future, well, mm-hmm. the past for us now, but the future at the time of this, or the present at the time this film was made. Yeah, and and we basically see uh, the Van Helsing line in nineteen in nineteen seventy two. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, uh, Peter Cushing is playing like Van Helsing, and then he has there's a it's, it's his granddaughter. Jessica. Mm-hmm. Jessica Van Helsing. Okay. Yeah, Peter so, Cushing plays two roles. He plays, you know, the OG Van Helsing in 1872, and then he plays an older gentleman in 1972, Lawrence Van Helsing, who is a descendant, and then we've got the granddaughter, Jessica. So they're all descendants of, of you know, the OG. Yeah, they're, they're in that bloodline of the, right. uh, you know, vampire killer family, you know. And, you know, Lawrence Van Helsing is is a master of the occult you know and mm-hmm. and his daughter or his granddaughter is kind of like oh yeah these books that you have i saw these at some random bookstores for sale and stuff because he's yeah she's not really taking it seriously she's she's a woman of her time she's kind of like it's kind of it's all right the, the in 72 swinging london is kind of over but in the early 70s you still have a bit of that late 60s aesthetic going on and it's still kind of fun times happening in, in london you know what i'm saying mike Exactly. We see we see some of these fun times, and we also see the later version of uh, of Johnny Alucard, aka yes. Ren- Renfield. And mm-hmm. 
Now that hat that he was wearing, because there's a party at some rich house, like rich rich family's house. Yes. <laughs> there's a band performing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the band is called uh, what the hell's the name of the band? The Stone Ground. Stone Ground. Yep. A California psychedelic band. Yeah. Tearing it up, playing like some psychedelic. Yeah, acid the music rock. is pretty good. Yeah. yeah, and it's this great party scene where everybody's dancing. And honestly, it's it's straight up like Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats, Electric Wizard. Like you know where they got their shit from. Like right, Mike? I mean, come on. It's like totally that vibe. Like you know, you could like freeze frame the the dances from this movie and like superimpose like Uncle Acid music over it, and it'll be the coolest thing ever. Like you know, if if you wanted some kind of like uh, visual and audio, you know, cue for this scene, uh, listeners, it's kind of a you know, kind of like that. Yeah, and uh, so Johnny Alucard, he's got this really cool hat, by the way. <laughs> yes. And uh, just just looks like a guy who just makes the scene, you know? Uh-huh. And so there's a, a group of these, like, hipster types, these, like, British hipsters. Yep. And, you know, he's kind of like the ringleader of this, uh, this whole group. Mm-hmm. And, and he introduces the occult element with his, um, you know, his rituals that he wants to do. Which yeah. would be to resurrect Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's the setting of this whole thing. Via a a black mass because black he's mass. like you know they're they're looking for kicks, kids. You know, it's nineteen seventy two. They got these kind of late teens, early twenties happening people, and they're looking to have some fun. And Johnny Alucard is like, you know, you want to have some real fun? You know, let's we're gonna do this black mass at a deconsecrated church. So yeah. Things were, I guess, back then. If you think about it, you know, like the early '70s, it was kind of the aftermath of like the Manson murders, and yep, you know, people yep. were getting into like, you know, that was like a there was like a darkness in the early part of the '70s as a result of a lot of these things. One hundred percent, and that's that's what this movie plays on, and it's it's you know, to, to me, it's a great idea. You know, uh, I, Mike and I were chatting a little bit before this. How some people have some hammer purists, and yes, there are hammer purists, have you know scoffed at this movie or saw it as the beginning of the end of hammer but honestly the movie's a riot and it's a lot of fun and there are legit dracula scenes there's legit vampire scenes and some you know you have the ridiculously hot and awesome caroline monroe in this movie there's a lot to like mike oh yeah definitely you know and um the uh they're fixated on Jessica Van Helsing and using mm-hmm. her as this, you know, as, as the the sort of linchpin to the, uh, the the resurrection of Dracula. So there's like this whole plot, this whole subplot of trying to get her and use her as like the, the sacrificial uh, element of their of their ritual. Yes, because Johnny is aware of who she is. Her friends have no idea who she is. Like they they just they know her as Jessica, you know, Jessica Van Helsing. They don't know about her, you know, family history and blah, blah, blah. But Johnny, who literally is a resurrected person from the past and is a minion of Dracula, knows all about her. And she is the the key target, as Mike said. Yeah. Um, at this point, Dracula has not appeared. Um, basically, it takes the killing of one of the other young ladies... Uh, and the spilling of her blood for uh, Christopher Lee to fully appear, huh, Mike? 
that was that she looked really familiar, man. But I was looking in the cast, and then mm -hmm. the name wasn't familiar to me. Um, which one? The one who ends up getting sacrificed. Oh, the first one to die. Yeah, I, yeah. She. Well, a lot of these people do look a little familiar. I mean, they they might have been in other Hammer films, but yeah, I hear you. I thought, I thought she was like you know like like some well known actress, and but she, apparently not because I I mistook her for someone else. Oh, but you're not talking about Caroline Monroe, the dark-haired girl, because she she's like no. the second to die, I think. I don't think she's the first Yeah, to no, die. no, I knew who she was. She was a okay, yeah. maniac, and yeah, 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 totally, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you know, it's funny looking at <laughs> looking at the, the, the cast of credits on Wikipedia, uh, you know, it says the Stone Ground as themselves, and Stone Ground do have their own Wikipedia page, folks. How about that? Uh, yeah, they're, they're uh, I'm legit fan. I'm going to try to find some of their stuff, you know, <laughs> along the lines of something I really would get into, too, you know. Totally, totally. <laughs> um, I mean, the plot in this thing is actually pretty straightforward. It's more about just the vibe, I think, of the whole, you know, 70s and, you know, this kind of, like, witchiness of the 70s and this, you know, dark sort of uh, hippie vibe, you know. Yeah, the first girl to die is Laura Bellows. That's That's her character's name. But I, I'm trying to find the actress's name. And oh, oh, wait a minute. Hold the phone. Wait, that is no, that's Caroline Monroe. If 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 she's the first to go, I didn't think then, she was the first one to get killed though. All right, well, there you go. Stand corrected. See. No, yeah, it is her. It is her. We, we were misremembering, folks. Forgive yeah. us. Yes, it is uh, Caroline Monroe, uh, the lovely and talented. She is the first victim, and basically, yeah, it kind of sucks because honestly, I, I I like seeing her on the screen. She's like kind of the standout of the first like half hour of the movie, twenty minutes of the movie. Um, you know, there's like this bloody ritual, and you know, Johnny Alucard the next day is like, oh, it was a joke, right? And he, you know, even though Laura is surprise surprise really dead and can't be found, he convinces the rest of the crew. That it was all a joke and that she went off, you know, to go see a family member or something like that. But then the next day there's some kids playing near that deconsecrated church. And there's a scene where they find the body. And thus the murder investigation begins, right? That's correct. Yeah. One of the coolest things is when Dracula actually appears. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. uh, and Alucard is trying to, like, take some kind of credit for it. You know, like, like he is entitled to becoming in immortal you know as a result of uh him resurrecting dracula but dracula is like it was my will <laughs> yeah i know i know he's like fuck that <laughs> like you didn't do anything it's all me yeah <laughs> it was my will so alucard even though you know again there is one young woman dead at this point um he he brings yet another one of of of, of the crew, uh, Gaynor Keating, uh, to Saint Bartolph's again, where she is killed by uh, you know Dracula himself. And uh, at this point, I don't think okay. And then it says Alucard volunteers to become a vampire, so he's not a vampire yet. He's still a minion. He's he's yeah, like, it's like like I said, he's like the you know the uh, familiar Renfield. right yeah, right. Renfield, oh, okay, you know? and he's that's his whole thing, like his. His scheme was to resurrect, you know, Dracula, and he sort of held it out over his head, like, "Oh, look at you know, now you you owe it to me, 
basically. And that's when you know, Dracula's like, what are you talking about? I'm Dracula. You're, you're nothing. You know, this was all done because of my will. You know? Yeah. So Christopher Lee does actually, of course, surprise, turn him into a vampire. And he manages to turn uh, Jessica's boyfriend into a vampire as well. Uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, kind of like a little little change of pace where it's like dudes turning into vampires, getting bitten by dudes. You know. Mm. Well, that's because two of the three girls are dead at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're killing off the women first, basically. Um, they, what is it? The, the scene with the running water. It's funny. This is one of the few movies, uh, where the Dracula Lord, the Vampire Lord, where they say that. Running water, not necessarily holy water, but running water can kill a vampire, huh? See, I thought that was interesting because I'd never really been aware of that as as a thing, you know. Me neither. Because th that's how Alucard gets like taken out, literally by a bathtub, which is kind of kind of silly. But I mean, look, it's nineteen seventy two. It's not fucking perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, getting getting a little ahead there. Um. I actually really liked the like Alucard as like as like a villain, you know. Um, it's a great he, villain. Yeah, uh, he there's just kind of something about him. Uh, the actor is Christopher uh, Nimi, by the way. Um, great actor, I think. He great also yeah, just had, he had a good look, you know. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, hold on, let's see. I feel like he he did other shit. Uh, well, yeah, he's in uh, 1971's Lust for a Vampire. Um, oh, he actually was on Dynasty for the last season of Dynasty. Uh, and he is in 1989's License to Kill, Mike. How about that? As Fallon. And uh, some other small roles. As a, He has a small role as a maitre d' in Ghostbusters Part 2. How about that? <laughs> yeah, uh, Lust for a Vampire is actually... Uh, Pretty cool uh, British flick as well. Uh, it's another Hammer film, by the way. Uh, sorry to take us away from our feature film of the evening. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I could see why maybe some people, like, it might be a little too 70s cheese. But to me, I feel like that's a, a part of the fun and appeal of the movie, no? I mean, it's... um. It doesn't have that grim, heavy vibe, like that gothic feel, like, you know, like what you think of Dracula, you know? It's, this is like almost like a fun, campy send-up of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it has really cool music. I actually have the the score on vinyl. It got, it got released like a couple of years ago, like reissued. Um, I don't know if you, you paid much attention to the music, but the, like the, the, the background score is pretty fucking rad in this movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love film scores, and that's definitely something I noticed in this movie. Yeah, it has like a, a cool cover. I'm trying to think who put it out. It, it's either Waxworks or like one of those. But it was yeah. like probably like right right before like the big vinyl horror boom. It kind of came out, you know. But it is somewhere in the collection. I have to dig it out. I'll take some photos for the Instagram kids. Um, so yeah, I mean, things start to unravel uh, as they do. Um, and look. I basically, you know, the elder Van Helsing enters the picture finally, right? Yes. And I kind of wanted, I guess, a little more of that, you know? But, I mean, we got a little bit of that at the very beginning of the movie. 
Um, but I think the movie was really more about like Jessica and like the younger people, you know. Like I feel like Peter Cushing was somewhat underused in this movie. No. Yeah, I mean the thing. Yeah, I, that, that that's the vibe I got too. That they wanted to make it about these young, like hip people, and mm-hmm. Van Helsing, aka Peter Cushing, was like delicate, you know. In the background, you know, it's more of a background. Like, yeah, like the they wanted these guys back. They look, they wanted Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. At this point, they're a little older. Cushing, it's funny. Like he looks pretty goddamn old in this movie, and it's seventy-two. And then, like he's in the first Star Wars, like five years later. I mean, he acted like physically as long as he could, man. Huh? Wow. I mean, dude, Peter Cushing, one of my idols. I, I love Peter mm. Cushing. I mean, oh, yeah. he's just like, he's the man. You know, I love him. I love him in everything he's ever been in, you know. He died in 1994 at the age of 81. So, dude, he was only 62 when he did Dracula AD 1972. Mike, he looks way older, no? Who lived a lot different back then. You know what I mean? It's not like now. Where, <laughs> yeah, you know, 62 Barbara, Barbara now, Crampton, right? I, I guess you're right. You're right. Yeah, Bar- Barbara Crampton's got to be like 62, but she looks like she's 30, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Wow. Six, he's 62 there. I thought he was way older. <laughs> Holy yeah, I thought he was way older than that, too, no doubt. Mm. Well, Christopher Lee, as we all know, lived a, another way longer than 81. He, let's see. He died. How old was he when he died? 93. So there you go. Yeah, another back. another just like mensch, you know, Christopher Lee. Just like, you know, these two guys. Like you, that's the thing. That was my that's my beef with this one with this movie. I it's the conflict between Peter Cushing's character Van Helsing mm-hmm. and Christopher Lee's Dracula, and it's like it got a little unfocused for me because I really, I mean, and that's just my thing, I guess. I mean, it's the movie's cool, but like. I just really wanted to see that conflict because at the end of the day, it comes down to those guys hating on each other. Right, right. But I think they Hammer might have just been conscious of the times and conscious of where horror was in 1972 and where Hammer was at, at this point. It was, you know, it was the end of the line. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you watch those really late-era giallos or you watch those late-era... Like, you know what I'm saying? When you're watching these late-era Halloween movies or Friday the 13th movies, it's like... You know the party is almost over, you know? <laughs> but again, I maintain this is a good Hammer movie. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, throwing really much shade at all. I, I, I watch this movie like once a year, you know? Um, or, or, I mean, it's just like a fun kind of like Saturday afternoon in October movie, Mike. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, and it's like a, it's kind of like a, like a, a lesser known film, too. Because like I said, this is the first time I ever watched it. Like, I'd never even seen it before. So like, I, I knew of his existence, but I just never, it just didn't seem like I would be interested in it. Mm. But, you know, I did, I did end up liking it. Oh, yeah. Again, a lot to like. Yeah. Um, the thing is, let's see. I don't know. Going beat by beat for this one, it's like, I, I kind of feel like there are listeners who know this movie very well, and then there are people who've never seen it before. I mean, it's not like it's some some big sh- shocking surprise ending. Uh, you know, Dracula kind of bites it at the end, folks. Right? <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. Um, the thing is, uh, th- there is a spell 
uh, that that Jessica is under, and you know it's it's kind of just like the seventies again cheesy but in a respectful way kind of like ending clashes at the end, right? Yeah, and uh, you know the, it, the endings for me I thought was like a little you know I don't know it was um, I felt a little little un, unsatisfied with the ending. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you know, it was cool. I enjoyed it. I, I'm probably, I probably will watch this again. Yeah. And it's you're looking good. like if you're looking for the more like traditional Dracula's. I mean, you can you can watch Horror of Dracula, Dracula's Living from the Grave, Taste the Blood of Dracula. Uh, you'll get kind of more Christopher Lee for your buck, as they say. You know. Um, but. Yeah, I think this movie was, I think Hammer's attempt at doing something a little different and being modern, and it's mixed results, because what's funny is that, like, horror in 1972 was getting kind of dead serious, actually, you know? What what came after this? Like, for me, like, 72, like, I think of, like, Last House on the Left in America, and then, like, in America, by 73, it's like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then every fucking 70s movie after that is fucking brutally, deadly, dark, serious, you know? Yeah, totally. This is kind of, yeah, like, like an end of an era, and, like, and, all right, so, you know what? Now, we're kind of at that point. I'm interested to see what you would actually rate this film. Um, I give it a four, actually, because okay. it's fun. It, uh, it has Caroline Monroe dancing around. Um, it's got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I don't know. I, 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 I enjoy this movie. I like the music. I like... I love the poster. Uh, I love, like, I don't know. I, I like the era, you know? I'm like a mark for, like, London in the 60s and 70s. So I actually gave this a four. You know I gave it a four, too, believe it or oh, not. Oh, there you go. No, dude, I, it's, it's funny because, like, I'm like, uh, you know, maybe because in, in the last couple films that we did, I gave them such right up my alley. I mm. loved them, you know? And this yeah. one I didn't like as much. So, to me, a four, like... Like I said, I mentioned that I'll watch this again, for sure. I mean, I'll probably end up buying this on Blu-ray or whatever, pull it out and watch it, you know, along with another Dracula film. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe as like a, you know, kind of double feature type of an evening or whatever. Um, it had it, it had its issues, you know, like there wasn't enough uh, Van Helsing, Peter, you know, Peter Cushing Van Helsing. Mm. I did like uh, um, Alec Hart, Alec Hart. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed his character. I, you know, the 70s vibe was cool. You know, the band, the music was good. But uh, the ending was a little, I thought, you know, you guys could check it out and let me know what you think of the ending. The ending was like, well, you know, mm. a little gl- anticlimactic, you know what I mean? I, I hear you. Uh, regarding the soundtrack, it was composed by former Manfred Mann member Mike Vickers, and it has a funky, quote, black exploitation style that reflects the early 70s setting of the film. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, the vinyl I have does not have any stone ground on it. However, uh, a 2009 CD came with bonus tracks. Uh, the two uh, songs by the stone ground that were in the movie, You Better Come Through For Me and Alligator Man. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, the very beginning, that opening sequence was actually not in the prior Dracula movie. The prior Dracula movie was called Scars of Dracula. 
Uh, it, it, it kind of looks like it came out of that, but it actually was newly shot footage, which is interesting. I was wondering if it was like a takeoff from Stars of Dracula, because it, if you watch that movie, it's extremely similar. But no, that, that was apparently uh, new footage. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the, the hammer that... Mm-hmm. Yes, and the hammer uh, that follows this, uh, Satanic Rites, 1973, uh, like I said earlier, has the same director. I think I'm going to do a Satanic Rites of Dracula very, very soon, so I'll have to like, keep that. You know what? That's actually a really good idea, man. I wouldn't mind doing all of the uh, the Satanic Rites movies because those are great. And, and like I said, now, now, now I think I've seen it. Because this is the one of the films I've never seen, and now I feel like I, I think I'm gonna get some Blu-ray DVD because I have the oh, yeah. original stuff. <laughs> of course, I've it all these years, you know. <laughs> I figured you would like it. Um, of course, Roger Ebert gave this movie a one out of four back in 1973. <laughs> uh, an abortive and totally unimaginative attempt to update the Bram Stoker legend to present-day Chelsea. Uh, Jeez, lighten up, Roger. Um, let's see. Yeah, that, that, this is what I'm saying. Like, uh, DVD Verdict said, Dracula 1872 is one of the weakest installments of the Hammer franchise, but will have a strong appeal to Dracula Tuxedo. Uh, one can have fun with this movie, but mostly because of its faults. Uh, it's too weak, but it's professionally made to be. That's much better acted and staged than it has any right to be. Yeah, but that's part of the appeal to me. I, I like it. Like, I like the scenes. I like the swinging London. Like, I like the, you know, the, the, the 70s-esque of it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, get this. This is one of Tim Burton's favorite films, by the way. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> he loves this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, listeners, if you want to get it, you can get it on Blu-ray. Uh, it came out in 2018 via the Warner Archive Collection. Uh, yeah, I have a 2005 Warner Home Video 4-on-1 DVD, which is still works quite lovely. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think you should see this movie if you haven't yet. Definitely recommend it. Um, what I want to talk about, I was watching uh, Cursed Films on Shudder. Have you yes. watched the Cursed Films? Yes, I have. Well, there was one I didn't know. I, I, I somehow missed this one, and I watched it last night. The Cannibal Holocaust Cursed Films. Did you see that one? I want to say yes, but I'm drawing a blank on whether or not I saw it. Because I did watch it, and I don't like it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a Cannibal Holocaust guy. It's it's the only, it's pretty much the only jungle horror movie I, I like. Um, I saw it in the theater in 2003. I don't think I ever got over that person. Um... Because I, I, it was one of those movies that prior to 2003, I never, ever saw before. I'd only read about it in horror magazines and just knew about its infamous word of mouth. But it's fucking great. Like, they have uh, actors who are alive from it on it. Uh, Mr. Delgado's on it, which, you know, the black guy that was playing him is real interesting takeaway backstory on that. Like, what the fuck went on there in that movie? Most of it is not good at all. Um, but the one interesting thing is towards the very end, this one guy, uh, well, it was a guy from Vinegar Syndrome, and then another singer joined in. And it said something that I never thought about in my research, that this movie, the 
because literally it's like the end of the Italian genre cinematic and it totally lines up not just with the year but like it lines up with the fact that like this movie killed Italian genre after this movie it was like if you really think about it like the Giallo was gone like a lot of the horror is almost like unrecognizable and the John Cusick were like it was so fucked up and so over the top that like this guy goes like you know had a stuff for the end. He's going signaling his friend and his wife. He says, much like this movie, it signals the complete end of Italian genre. And I said, what the fuck? Italian genre is not just about horror. He's like, dude, it's got bands everywhere. It's got bands in the theater. It goes out on the Hamptons. It's got producers that are connected. It was just like different. So you're saying Real Testament and Hard Heart are not the same thing at all.
Yeah, it's it like you you feel so bad for these actors. Like it's it's very interesting, and it's like it's some like I said, some stuff I knew, but some stuff I definitely did not know. So I was like, oh shit, you know, um, dude, I took that I took my old girlfriend to see that movie on a date in two thousand three, and it was it was bad. <laughs> that, that's not something. That's not a date movie. With well, no, she was a horror head too. Yeah. And, and and but it was just like we both felt so terrible afterwards. Oh my god, it was it was wild. Oh man, about that did we that film? <laughs> I don't know if it's something we should talk about, but that's that's like I'm trying to think. That was never something that came up as a possibility, you know. No, I mean, look, a part of me would would watch it again. It's just like it's it's like a hate watch. Like I love hate that movie. Like I yeah. a lot of love for that movie. Believe it or not. It is a one of a kind, like tour de force movie, in my opinion. You know, like there's no, it is the found footage movie, in my opinion. Like it's, there's no Blair Witch without this movie, 100%. Like it's just, and it's just on another level than Blair Witch. It's just, it seems like you're watching a documentary in that same way that, like, when you're watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like you're just, you're living it, like, you know. But uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll consider it. You know, we'll put it out on the table and see if we want to do it or not. We'll put it on the table. I wonder if this, yeah. imagine Jeff's probably seen it once, right? Uh, he's definitely seen it. Oh, man. It was so funny to see that text about Jeff with his kid. I went, What kid? I said to myself, Jeff has a kid. And he's like, Oh, that's my stepdaughter. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> that was funny. Dude, I got to eat something. I'm like, starting to fade here. All right, bro. Do your thing, man.